comes the rain, with my anger comes a tide of emotion, killing joy, cutting steel across your eyes. Are you dead? Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Jeremy Bai for another episode of the Righteous Blood Podcast. And tonight we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Normally we talk about wuxia films, but during the last several podcasts, Jeremy has been bringing up the connection between wuxia and spaghetti westerns. And so we thought we'd do a Sergio Leone film, and we might do some more. It depends on how well this one goes. Uh, tonight we're going to be doing Once Upon Time in the West, which is a 1968 film, again, directed by Sergio Leone. And it's it's about, uh, and this is just taken right off the back of the box, a mysterious stranger with a harmonica joins forces with a notorious desperado to protect a beautiful widow from a ruthless assassin working for the railroad. Now, the plot is a lot more complicated than that. Like, this is this is one of these movies where you do not even know what the plot is until, like, somewhere towards the end. Like, you're just kind of, you're just watching characters get introduced and interact, and you don't really know why, and tension is building, and it's lingering on all these scenes, and exciting things are happening. But it takes a while for the movie to really tell you exactly what's up. And the plot is, a, is, is more convoluted than that suggests, and... I didn't want to spoil the ending for anybody in the very beginning, but I think going forward, Jeremy, are we going to have to say that this is a spoiler episode? Like if you haven't seen this movie, it would be hard for us to talk about it without getting into spoilers or. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So if you're, if you haven't seen it, maybe you can hit pause and then go watch it really quickly. Although you can't really watch it quickly. Cause it's like two, over two and a half hours long. Yeah. I think something like it's, that. I was supposed to rewatch it last weekend and I forgot that it was like three hours long. And so we had to cancel because I didn't have time to rewatch it before the the podcast. So it's a long movie. It's yeah. I will say this, it's it's it doesn't feel long. Even though even though it's long and everything about it is very slow paced, somehow it magically doesn't feel like a chore when you're watching watching it. Um and there are a lot of movies that are much faster paced that are three hours long like, I don't know, Braveheart or something that just feel like they're a lot longer. Um, yeah. So, and this one uh, didn't do particularly well at the box office from what I remember, but in the subsequent years uh, kind of gained a lot more recognition and nowadays uh, is viewed as probably one of the best uh, or at least the best among the best. And, uh, and yeah, and so I guess why did we pick this movie? This was, uh, I, we, we were sort of debating whether we should do this, The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, A Fistful of Dollars, and I think the reason we picked it is because I watched it recently. Okay. <laughs> so that way I didn't. The others I haven't. And as I've mentioned, or uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and the and some of the other spaghetti westerns, I haven't uh, watched them in a while. And as I've mentioned before on the podcast, I have a five-year-old and a uh, well, at this point she's nine months old. Uh, I have them at home, uh, so it's not easy for me necessarily to sit down and watch movies straight through. So I figured it'd be better to go with one that I had seen more recently. And I do want to mention before we get uh, too deep into the podcast, because we always forget to do this. Uh, Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades is available pretty much wherever you can find games. Uh, if if you shop at a local game shop, ask them to order it for you and support your local game shop. You can get it from the website of the publisher, which is Osprey. Uh, you can also get it on Amazon or wherever else you get books. 
So make sure to check that out. And I have a bunch of resources on my website, which is jeremybuy.com. Uh, links to the game as well as uh, links to all sorts of other stuff related to the game. So make sure to check that out. And then, so moving on from that little thing, uh, one of the reasons, as you already mentioned, that we are doing this instead of a Wushu movie is just over and over again over the past several episodes, it, I just kept bringing up um, Spaghetti Westerns for one reason or another. And I think that there's a lot of crossover elements between them and a lot of ways that spaghetti westerns are reminiscent of wuxia yeah. or maybe it's the other way around regardless i think it's a fascinating topic and i think uh you can learn a lot or you can get inspiration let's say uh, yeah. by examining some of those uh, similarities and differences and of course there's also some other things we're going to talk about as well i think uh that you can take from them in terms of being a game master running games or even a, as a player yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the floor to talk about the the crossover elements and the non crossover elements uh, in a moment. But yeah, one other reason why we did this movie from from my side was because of the music, and I think that that maybe brings us to the first point of similarity between Wuxia and Spaghetti Westerns is there's a lot of Spaghetti Western movie uh, music in Wuxia movies because they, 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 they just take the tracks and use them. And so, um, so the, 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 one of the theme songs in this film was used in the movie, the delightful forest, which, um, is one of the things that I thought made the delightful forest. So good. It's just the decision to use that music, uh, in the way that they used it. And, and, uh, and it's interesting to, you know, to see how differently the two movies use the music as well. Like this one uses it, it really, it, it, there's an opening scene in the film where a family gets wiped out and the kid comes outside and sees the family is dead. And I think you hear the theme before that, but that's when the theme really kind of, you know, has time to breathe and have its full effect on you. Um, and so it's just one of these kind of emotional moving pieces of music. And, and so, so I think that, that sort of, I don't know that, um, that melodramatic musical quality is kind of present in both of them, I think. But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, you know, why don't you get into, uh, to the things that you've noted are, uh, are similar and then we can maybe get into the differences too. Sure. Before I do that though, really quickly, I just wanted to uh, add on to what you were talking about because something we actually, I don't think have ever talked about on the podcast and maybe we could do an episode about this is music I know there's different schools of thought in terms of whether you should or shouldn't use music in, or not should or shouldn't, but whether, you know, different people like to either use music or not use music when they're playing role-playing games. I've done both, and I have done even soundtrack, kind of, I don't want to say soundtracks, but like uh, I've done GMing where I have a whole bunch of songs lined up ready to play, and then I'll switch it based on the mood and stuff. And so I, I think that the, the musical element is something that's probably worth delving into a little bit more deeply. Um, well, but in any case, that, go ahead. Yo, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, my, my view on that is, is changed a lot. I used to use a lot of music and I started getting distracted by it, but I still use it like if I'm working on an adventure and I want it to hit a certain note. I don't I, I try not to write while I'm listening to music or work while I'm listening to music because I. I'll end up doing the thing where I, I write the wrong person's name down or something because I'm not paying attention. But I will listen to like a playlist before I sit down to write my adventure or while I'm think while I'm thinking about stuff. And it gets me in the right headspace usually. Um but but yeah. Oh, and people have actually asked about the opening music to the podcast, which I just want to point out. 
Uh, I, I I did that. That's me singing, and that's my that's you know it's a, it's a crappy little song, but but it's kind of trying to go for a similar type of vibe. Um, so yeah, so so I don't know, but let's get into the the crossover elements. Sure. I mean, there's so much that could be talked about. I guess uh, instead of listing them out, maybe I'll just start out with with one of the ones that uh, thematically, I guess, one of the things that has always stood out to me is that is that the fight scenes and the tension leading up to them is just so reminiscent of Wuxia movies, uh, yeah. especially the Gulong style, which we've talked about a lot. And of course, in the movies, the fight scenes are handled a little bit differently. In the novels, the fight scenes, um, for example, if you take Gulong fight scenes and put them up against Jinyong fight scenes, they're very different. Yeah. And uh, either way, the way that that tension is built up and the way the characters kind of face off hand on weapon kind of staring at each other sort of thing that's just so common in in a lot of wushu movies and that's also something that we aimed for in our uh game in terms of how the game mechanic works we have a a phase before fighting breaks out in which characters can kind of uh, intimidate each other or whatnot and so that's one of the first things that jumps out to me is how those fight scenes play out and just uh the the way that the characters kind of prepare to fight i guess you could say yeah, and that that definitely is a, really apparent in this movie. There's a lot of scenes, and and there's a, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of sleight of hand going on on the director side. I think in terms of drawing your attention to something so that you're surprised, you know, and you don't you don't really know where the danger is coming from all the time. There's a lot of scenes that you think, oh, this is because somebody's going to get shot, and the tension is building, and then it turns out it's actually something else. Like the guy just wants to get. His his handcuffs shot off. He doesn't. He's not initiating a, a a duel. But you get you initially you have the impression that he's walking in there and somebody's going to get shot and killed. And uh and just before that character appears, there's this whole thing that happens outside of the tavern that you don't even see. You just hear it and you have no idea what's going to walk through that door. And it's it's uh and I think that's the kind of thing we were thinking of with talking and analysis phase where there's this. There's this stuff that happens before a fight, and you don't even know if a fight's going to happen, you know, and that's kind of, this this movie definitely gets it. It's definitely in, in Wuxia and Gulong, and it's definitely here. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think, and I think this movie's a really good example of it, because this is, this almost feels like a, um, like a Sergio Leone greatest hits type thing, too, because it's like, it's like his, I don't know if it's his actual biggest budget movie, but it's like a big budget version of like the you know the uh the man with no name uh you know series so yeah and uh, to be clear i don't think of myself as being a, an expert in spaghetti western like everything about it i i do know that this was a little bit based on my understanding it was a little bit of a a departure from the style of his previous stuff um so I, you know, obviously there's going to be differences depending on which era of his movies you're talking about, I suppose. Another thing that I think really uh, stands out to me in this movie and, and probably just Spaghetti Westerns in general that is similar to Wuxia is how sort of unique and eccentric and I don't want to say zany, but just the, the characters really stand out in having interesting character traits or some kind of hook uh, in this one, the the lead character, uh, played by Charles Bronson, plays a harmonica, and I, th- I think that's even the name they. That's call what they him, call right? them. They just call them harmonica, which I thought was really cool. Like that's a, it, it, those things can kind of sound silly. Do you know what I mean? But like in this movie, I thought it worked really well. Where harmonica kind of sounds like a name. It sounds like a nickname, so it works. 
Yeah. And we, I mean, that the way that those characters kind of stand out in your mind, uh, like for me, thinking back to the movie, because it has been a few months since I watched it, uh, when I was prepping for the podcast, I went and looked at the synopsis and I had forgotten how complicated the plot was. And I didn't even remember as, 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 as we were preparing to record, I was like, what is the movie about? I kind of vaguely remembered, but even though I didn't remember necessarily the, the storyline, you know, beat for beat, the characters really stuck, stuck out to me. And like, I remember those characters after watching the movie, uh, you know, months and months after watching the movie. I was going to say, and that's kind of something that happens in the Wuxia novels. And you and I talked about this a lot in the prep work for Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades, how especially Gulong has these just really standout eccentric characters, which is why we included the whole eccentricity. And now come to think of it, we should, I, I, I don't think we had an eccentricity related to music. That would be kind of a cool one now that I think about it. That would be, actually. I agree, I agree with you. No, yeah, no, these are like Wuxia characters in a lot of ways. Like, uh, you know, you have, everybody's... I mean, the hero is a hero, but like everybody else is a little bit despicable that's around him. Do you know what I mean? There's like this dark underworld that he's part of. And, the, you know, like like one of the main characters is a bandit. Do you know what I mean? He's, 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 he's a likable character. You're supposed to root for him. But he's a, he's, he, you know, he, 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 he's somebody who there's, there's a reward on his head because he's a criminal. And the other character is a woman who we find out later is a prostitute. And that's like a really common trope in, in Wuxia movies and in Wuxia books. And, and then you have like the, you know, the, the Henry Fonda villain who, to me, he, he I mean, obviously this came before Robocop, but it, the relationship between him and the train, the, the guy on the train, the, the millionaire guy, that, that reminds me a lot of the, the Clarence Bodecker character in Robocop. And it even has kind of a similar demeanor or something. I don't know what it is. Um, but, but everybody is really stark. Like even, and again, the millionaire train guy with the, with the crutches and the neck brace and all these things, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's stark, memorable characters, I think. And, and characters who they're a little bit bad, but it's, it's really entertaining how bad they are sometimes. You know what I mean? Like that's, I think that's, what's exciting about the genre. Yeah, and that's that's I think probably one of the other things that I think is a is a big similarity is that you have sort of a, a world outside of the world of normal society. Yeah. You know, the the spaghetti westerns uh and I guess just the wild west uh time period or however you want to refer to it isn't about the people in the big city and the policemen in the city and the and you know enforcing traffic laws and you know all that stuff. It's a lot more wild and it's a similar yeah. with most uh, Wuxia stuff is they're existing in a, like you mentioned, some kind of like an underworld that's outside of the the realm of the central government and the local, uh, you know, police. And that's kind of a, it, it leaves a lot of room for a, just a really romantic take on yeah. on the, the story that you're trying to tell. And there's also like a code underlying a lot of it. Like the, the, the villain, um, I forget Henry Fonda's character's name, um, Frank, I think. Frank, yeah, Frank and uh, and Harmonica, they face off at the end, and you know, there's obviously several moments where either of them could have shot each other, but there's like a mutual respect between the two the the two duelists because it's basically ending in a duel between them, and 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 the Frank character goes there 
sort of out of, uh, he, he he basically is giving up on the possibility of just ha- you know like having a really cushy life to find out why this guy is going after him like why why what harmonica wants in the first place he could have just you know he could have just you know left him or set a trap for him or whatever but he 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 wants to go find out and also there's like, i don't know there's just like a really interesting respect between the two characters in that final moment that's very wuxia i feel the you know the 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 two swordsmen that are you know uh at a similar level and we're about to find out who's the best um uh and and also the tale of revenge this is ultimately a tale about a grudge and you know so you know which i think again spoilers we're going to get into spoilers the big mystery is you know, just what does harmonica want and, and why is he playing this harmonica the whole time? And when you find out, <laughs> it's actually really cool because he was, um, his brother was killed by Frank and the way that Frank killed him was he, he hanged his brother, but he had him stand on harmonica's shoulders and he shoved a harmonica into harmonica's mouth. And basically, I forget what he said, but something like, you know, entertain your brother or amuse your brother or, you know, please your brother, do something to keep him happy, basically, while he's dying here. Um, and so, you know, you know, that, that, I thought that was a really cool background, but that too also felt very, very wuxia, you know, so. Yeah, there's a level of uh, melodrama that both of these genres have. And I think that, um, and I, I think in a minute, we can talk more about maybe ways that you can tap into this kind of stuff for games. But basically, I think that sort of over the top, you know, dramatic stuff is is such a staple of the genre that uh, GMs should probably be trying to to emulate that to some extent because it's it's just such a such an, a major feature of both of them. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree, and I think um, I think sometimes when you're dealing with genres that have tropes and have melodrama and have stuff that's sort of I don't know uh, easy to make fun of. GMs are sometimes reluctant to do it, but I feel like you if if you do it in the right, I, mean, I, I don't know, I, I you can take like like obviously there's Wuxia that operates like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or like the movie in 2015 that came out, The Assassin, sort of like these more highbrow level Wuxia movies. But there's also Wuxia that's operating at much more of a you know genre level. Do you know what I mean? It's still great great filmmaking in a lot of ways. Um, but you, for the purposes of running a game, you have to be willing to dive into the whole genre. You, you, you can't just be trying to get like, you know, glossy wuxia the whole time. I think you've got to be willing to get your hands dirty and, and use, use tired old tropes. Do you know what I mean? Like tired old tropes are the things that make the genre work. And then adding a little bit of life and vitality to them and adding your own spin on them is what, uh, what gives them, you know, a little bit more energy. Um, yeah, and... it kind of relates to the topic that is in the main rule book, the genre physics topic, which you and I discussed that quite a bit as we were kind of putting that section together. And basically the point being that uh, it's good to get on the same page with your players about essentially kind of like what movie does your does your uh, game take place in? Is it in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or is it in Magnificent Bodyguards with Jackie Chan, or is it in like, you know, uh, uh, Dragon Wuxia uh, with the Donnie Yen? I mean, those are all very different yeah. kind of settings, and and so placing your 
game in a movie, so to speak, and then everybody knowing that is going to be kind of important because if your players are coming to the table expecting, you know, some kind of slapstick comedy or something, and then you're working on this, like, you know, sprawling romance like Crash Tiger, Hidden Dragon, you might have some some um, expectations not met on the part of your players. No, that's, that's definitely true. Um, also, I think, you know, going into a genre like this can be very useful because if you watch a lot of wuxia movies, especially if you, like, watch them from, like, a, one period of time into another, like, you chronologically go through wuxia movies and just watch as many as you can, you start to notice how, you know, certain genre tropes get set, and then the thing that keeps the genre alive is these directors borrowing elements from other genres that fit into wuxia. So, like, you'll see Cho Yuan borrow from crime movies. You'll see, you know, Cheng Che borrowing from spaghetti westerns. You'll see all these things kind of happening. You'll see people borrow from horror and different things. And so, you know, that makes this discussion relevant because spaghetti western is one of those things that filtered into the genre and kind of gave it life. And I think if, you know, it's reasonable for a GM to look at spaghetti westerns and try to use that to to bring some life into the game you could do it with other other genres too um but the point being this is one that's kind of tried and true because it's actually part of the in a way it's part of the wuxia genre because it had an influence on it you know what i mean so you know i'm sure i'm sure there's even like a you know i don't know what the dna is but there might even be like a back and forth do you know what i mean where there's a borrowing in multiple directions going on um i would say that um you know in a minute we can talk about some of the ways that spaghetti westerns don't really cross over but before we do that i was just going to say that or i was going to kind of continue with the similarities thing in in an observation that i've made before which is i feel that a lot of times in spaghetti westerns the majority of the movie if you if you change the costumes and the language and the weapons which i know that's a lot to change but actually that's change... a, but, but a lot of that's actually very superficial stuff because it's like the you know it's the words they're using but not what they're saying it's the yeah. clothes they're wearing but they're still wearing you know what i mean it, and yeah. and the weapon it, those are all fairly superficial changes yeah exactly so if you change those things but you kept everything else shot for shot and the music and then whatever you could basically make almost any sweaty western awusha movie at least okay i'm kind of i'm making a very blanket statement but basically so much stuff is just very wusha like for instance, the opening scene in Once Upon a Time in the West, where you have these three guys, they're waiting for somebody, and then, you know, the train comes. Okay, obviously, train's not going to work out well in Wuxia, unless you're in, like, the <laughs> in the early 1900s. Uh, but in any case, and then the, the good guy suddenly appears, and then they face off, and they... Uh, but anyway, the point is just, it really can be ported into a Wuxia uh, film very easily. And so, yeah. because of that, I think you can also take a lot of inspiration from uh, spaghetti westerns and just taking a scene and then kind of putting that into your game uh, really easily because they, they carry over so well, as opposed to, you know, other genres, like, you know, you try to take Mission Impossible, turn it into into a Wusha uh, period game might not be as easy. No, and I think what you just said was totally true because when I was watching the opening scene, I was imagining them wearing Song Dynasty robes. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, this would totally work as a Wusha. I could just picture it, so... Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, and also, there's, the, you know, just from the title again, I don't, I don't remember the, I don't know what the name was in Chinese, but like, there's Once Upon a Time in China too. Like, you know, there's, you know, which at least for American audiences, that was a, a reference to this, I'm sure. Um, so, uh, 
yeah, the other thing that I thought was similar is Wuxia movies have a lot of, of a character that I call too tough to fall in love, which is like the, the guy who is just there to do a job or kill or whatever, and he's not there to have time for romance or anything like that, no matter how appealing the romance is made. Um, and the Charles Bronson character in this movie He's just there to get revenge, and then he's not—he's not there to linger around afterwards. It's this—it's a very macho, like like more macho than anybody in real life would ever be, kind of a character. Do you know what I mean? Like a, a and somebody who they, they you know they only they only speak when it matters and things like that. It's a you know, um, it, you know again, it's a, it's a particular kind of kind of macho. Um, yeah, the characters that you see in them are just so unique like i was mentioning earlier basically and i that's one of the things that i like about him and I, one of the things like and he, henry fonda's character the frank guy was great villain i think and could also easily be turned into a wusha, wusha villain you know he's like dresses snazzy and super skilled and kind of arrogant and uh, but also handsome and all of the qualities that make him up are just straight out of a, a wusha movie well, that's why it was good casting him. I think in that role was effective for that reason because he's like he's like handsome and he's likable, and it's kind of, I don't know it's kind of jarring when you see him and because one of the first things he does is kill a kid, right? So yeah, like, it's like a real like it's like not only are we casting against and obviously to to young people today that have never seen Henry Fonda anything it it might be a meaningless thing, but yeah. but casting against type like that and then having like his first thing be a child murder is you know uh, it's a pretty strong way to introduce a character um, yeah and, he, and yeah he he came across to me as being really really like psycho but in in the in a psychotic way that not like he's insane crazy just like he's scary kind yeah of, yeah kind of I psycho agree. where you're like cold-blooded and just smiling as he's killing kind of guy yeah because like he didn't seem like he wanted to kill the kid it was just like the guy said hey Frank, what are we going to do? And he's like, well, now that you mentioned my name, <laughs> you know, I don't have any choice. I got to do it. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. It was, and also he, 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 it's not like he's like this character who's totally like the violence isn't the, the violence is a means to an end for him. I think it's yeah. not, it's not the end in itself. Whereas for other characters that might be more, the other types of villains, that, that might be the actual point of it all. Um, but why don't we talk about, I, I, I think we only identified one real non crossover point that stuck out to us. Do, do we want to get into that? Is that sure? Yeah. I mean, the, one of the, I mean, and it's not just this movie, it's like a lot of spaghetti Westerns and Westerns, the whole, um, like railroad moving into town and property ownership and the owners versus the landowners. That's such a common theme, uh, that doesn't really quite carry over to an ancient Chinese setting, um, before we hit the record button, we were kind of brainstorming and trying to think how you could kind of like, uh, well, you know, go ahead. I just wanted to say, as you were saying that, I know that this is like a point we, it occurred to me there, number one, there were railroads in China, right? But number two, yeah, yeah. number two, um, there's a movie called Tai Chi Zero that has that as it's like the, the, that's right. Yeah. I've it, seen that. Yeah. And, and that's kind of that. a, would you say it's a wushu movie or would you say it's more of a Kung Fu movie? It's been years since I saw it, and I so I I'm I'm not sure, but yeah, that, there is that movie. That is true. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe the exception doesn't break the rule, and I'd have to really think about it to see how many you know. But but I think it's still fair to say, like the 
there is like a very American expansion into the West type thing. And there is like a frontier in Wuxia. Like Wuxia does have a frontier and they make use of it. So that's also present, but just the particulars of the history of the expansion, I think is what you're getting at. Yeah, like if you were going to, I mean, obviously if you take any Wuxia movie and you're like, I want to make a game on this, you could, you know, pretty easily put out, take all the key elements. And well, I I, I shouldn't say that, not every single Wuxia movie, because as we've talked about and I've blogged about as well, there are some Wuxia movies which don't really turn into games very easily. But the point is, if you were going to take Once Upon a Time in the West and you're like, okay, I want to make a Wuxia version of this, I would have trouble deciding, okay, what do I replace the incoming railroad with? Because the whole premise of the movie is that uh, this guy who is dead before the movie even starts buys property in a town where he knows the railroad is going to be coming through. And he has, I think it's he has the only water or something in that area. Is that what it is? Yeah, there's water under his property. Right. So, just... so that's what kind of drives this whole thing. And then in the very end of the movie, spoilers, obviously, the, the wife who never even met the husband because she was like a mail order bride kind of thing, if, if I remember correctly. She, she kind of, she gets the property and then, you know, kind of lives happily ever after or whatever. If you wanted to port that into a Wuxia story what would you replace the railroad coming through town and they need to uh, keep this property and they need to build the railway station before a certain time? How would you port that? Or even could you? I mean, you could probably do it in a later period, Wuxia. Like, you wouldn't be able to do it during the Song Dynasty or something. Yeah, that's my point. If you wanted it in, like, the Republic period or something, maybe you could. Um, You know, so you could do it at a later time. You could also just get rid of the railroad and have it be more about like you know the expansion southward and like you know instead of a railway it's more about like you know the magistrate being appointed there and you know establishing the county and that kind of a thing and wait i just i just got an idea you could have it be during the construction of the great canal period and you're 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 you own a, a town right in the path of the great canal or something like that so yeah, so so there's there's always there's always probably a way to make it work, but 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 at the very least there's definitely like a, I don't know there's like a there, there are specific American things going on in the movie that you would have to account for I guess we would say yeah Do you know what I mean I guess as um, long as you exercise enough imagination you could probably yeah. overcome most of the challenges well because when I think of like like one of the one of the go to Wusha plots that I think of is a big bully is terrorizing a community and a wuxia hero has to show up and stop him. Do you know what I mean? That's basically Lady Hermit, right? Like that's the, essentially what's going on there. That's also like almost every Western that's ever existed. Right. So the the (laughs) idea of these remote places that the, you know, that bad guys are able to rule over unless a hero shows up because the law is limited. I think both of those are easy to apply in any kind of old setting where, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, China had a very advanced bureaucracy, but like, still, it's you know, there, there's only you know so much that they can cover, and so there is going to be you know an amount where people are left to fend for themselves, you know, just like there were in you know Western countries, and and so you know, and the West is sort of you know embodies that. So, um, but yeah, I don't know, but but I, I I think I think overall, I mean, I think it's I think it's it's probably one of the closest genres to wuxia. Like I like there's there's a there's a handful that seem really similar that people often refer to. And I, th- this, this one does seem pretty close, especially since like the, 
the heroes seem pretty similar to me in westerns as they to wuxia characters like especially this one like this this could be a t lung character out of like yeah you know three or four movies off the top of my head do you know what i mean like just you know or a or a jimmy wang Yu character or anything you know just that kind of you know yeah. staunch like i don't know just uh very cool calm that's something else yeah. that's something else i think that they both share these are all worlds inhabited by fighters and people that have like been through rough stuff and the thing that really makes people sort of stand out in those tense and suspenseful moments seems to be an ability to relax enough to so that they can take action correctly do you know what i mean like ability not to be overwhelmed it's that the guys that are calm are the ones that seem to be more in control do you know what i mean yeah, um sure. actually you touched on something that i i guess would also be a pretty big difference and that is that uh spaghetti westerns don't have an actual jiang who they have i mean the way it's set up kind of is similar but in wuxia stuff the jiang who or the martial arts world is a lot more of a like a an act an actual thing that people recognize exists yeah. and talk about and there, you know there's a there are people who are part of it and people who are not a part of well, it as opposed to go ahead i was gonna say could you could you talk about the underworld of gunslingers or is that not i mean i think you could but it's it's like it's not like they like you don't see them going around talking about that Mm -hmm. like there's no there's not a special word for it and you don't see them being like well i'm gonna retire from the world of underground gunslingers like they they do have (laughs) their underground world but they don't really talk about it and also the jianghu depending on the author and you know the director or whatever uh there are kind of like rules and and again yes i know there are also kind of a, a code of contact a code of conduct that exists among the gunfighters but it's not like again not something necessarily that's codified or that people talk about so it's that's another thing that is not a perfect matchup i'd have yeah. a video on my youtube channel about star wars uh and giving my opinion on whether Star Wars is Wuxia. Um, spoilers, I think that it is not correct to say that it is Wuxia. It obviously is influenced by or inspired by or reminiscent of Wuxia. But one of the points I make in that video is that uh, a very key element, uh, in fact, in my opinion, probably required element to a Wuxia setting is having that Jianghu. And so okay. I think that that it, obviously you could make that element uh in us, like if you wanted to make your own spaghetti western game that was reminiscent of Wuxia, yeah. you could very easily add that yeah. in. But the fact remains that in the movies, they doesn't really have the, that. There was opinion. one called Far West that was supposed to come out. Uh, that was that concept, I believe. I guess, I guess the uh, the 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 closest genre that I can think of then in terms of one that has a genre would be the gangster genre. Yeah, gangster underworld has rules. Everybody knows that it's a place that exists outside of you know. We should we should also do like a movie like Goodfellas or something yeah. at some point to yeah to kind of extend this idea. Um, I think those I think those I think Spaghetti Westerns, gangster movies, and Wuxia are kind of like a trifecta of like yeah. you know. There's a there's a what's the thing called with circles the um, Venn diagram. Venn yeah, diagram. there's a Venn diagram, and with those three, you can kind of yeah they I all think... connect. To each other. They all kind of have a shared values system in a way. Do you know what I mean? There's like a, uh, there seem like 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 you said, like there isn't like a, an explicit code. 
in in a western but there's like expectations of how people are supposed to behave and like what makes a person a man versus a coward and all those kinds of things um and you know so you know so i think i think there's there's something shared in that respect um but uh but yeah so one thing i did just before we forget i really like the dialogue however rare it was in this movie because a lot of the movie <laughs> is just watching people kind of sit there but in particular i thought the the insults were really really well done there there when uh when charles bronson uh meets cheyenne for the first time it's number one the scene is really brilliantly done it's a really well done scene but charles bronson says to him because he comments on the harmonica and uh and then he and then i forget what he says after it but it prompts charles bronson to say so you know about music and you can count all the way up to two it's sort of like his summation of, and, and then and then cheyenne's response is i can count all the way up to six if i need to and he sort of pulls out his revolver i just i just liked that kind of dial and the, and the line where cheyenne is talking what was the woman's name in the movie um i'd have to pull up the hold on i'll find it jill jill when he's talking to jill and he says you remind me of my mother and you're kind of like, oh, isn't that sweet? And then, like in the next breath, he's like, he says she was the biggest whore in Alameda. And then, then he goes on to say she was also like a really nice woman. But like, just the, like he he knows that you're, who who whoever wrote that line knows that after you say something like that, you're gonna kind of have an awe moment because everybody thinks pleasantly of their mother. You know I mean, just like that kind of a thing. And then he just takes that detour, and it becomes like this insult almost. You know what I mean? Um, though I think in a way it was kind of like a double-edged sort of compliment and insult. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I was just, I was just pulling up some quotes and there was this one. How can you trust a man who wears both a belt and suspenders? The man can't even trust his own pants. That was one of my favorite (laughs) lines in the movie. That was, especially given the, the, the presentation of that character. There's a guy, I forget the actor's name, but he's in like every wuxia movie. Now he's kind of plays like the doofus who's just kind of like, usually like a servant or like, you know, a low-ranking member of the gang or whatever. And that guy reminded me of that character a lot. Uh, <laughs> or that actor a lot. Um, yeah, this has a lot of really great quotes. Uh, yeah, that's something that's always jumped out to me about uh, Gu Long's uh, dialogue. Uh, and I guess some of it depends on the translation, but he has so many good one-liners that the characters say. And that's hard to emulate, in my opinion, or at least for me, it's hard to emulate that in in gaming. Um, I'm, I am a kind of I have to plan things out more, uh, and uh, and then when the the dialogue turns spontaneous between, uh, you know, the player characters and the NPCs, I can't. There's no way I can pull off those cool one-liners the it's way that the characters do in the books. But yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's all you kind. It's one of those things you you're either inspired to say it or you're not. Is the problem. And yeah. uh, Gulong presumably had at least a moment or two to think about those lines without an audience waiting for him. Um, yeah, you know, there's always those cool dialogues between his characters. I I always I can never like I try to explain this to people sometimes, and I I'll be like it's like this, and I try to come up with something off the top of my head. It never ever works out, but it's always this the cool I, wordplay. I, I I tend to look at it almost like busting chops. Do you know what I mean? So like. That's the way that I like when I'm trying to do that. That I I just sort of do a Boston busting chops type thing, which is you know, <laughs> sort of how my approach to it. Or my 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 fallback is they always say you're tired of living, 
in these movies. Yeah. So that's, that's that's my fallback. <laughs> if somebody gets really angry at a PC and wants to, you know, express anger, they'll just say, you, you must be tired of living. Um, yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, so um, I guess the other thing, too, that I, that I was thinking of watching this, and again, this is something I think DMs definitely... Sh- Sorry, GMs, not DMs. We're talking about role-playing games. Right. Uh, so, uh, but GMs, I think, should think about is the importance of the individual director. Because like we said, we were, um, you know, originally we were talking about the similarity between Spaghetti Westerns or Westerns and Wuxia. But really, we were talking about Sergio Leone. Like, that was really kind of what we had in our mind. And I think um, when you're talking about Wuxia, you know, there's a big difference between, you know, a Chang Che movie and a Choi Yuan movie or a um, uh, uh, a Lao Kar Lung film. Do you know what I mean? Those are very, very different things. And so the director is really important. And when you're, when you're trying to find inspiration for your games, I think it's, you know, one of the most helpful things for me is to find a director that I, that I like and let that be my sort of live, let that be your first tour through the genre. Do you know what I mean? Let that be sort of... And then you can kind of find other directors and you can find the ones you like. And those are the trails that you should be following because I think that's... The other way to do it is to, to like find an actor or an actress and watch their movies. But I think it's a lot more reliable to go by director because then you kind of get that director's point of view of the genre. And with Sergio Leone, you know, the thing that you're really you're getting is that the, the, the brilliance around the building of tension and suspense and... Um, that's something that, you know, again, I think, uh, is, uh, um, you know, that, uh, you know, you do, you do see that in, in, in some, in some, in some wuxia, but, uh, but again, the director is, is sort of an important thing. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, taking that like a step further, it would be interesting, uh, maybe on the podcast or if, if we don't have a chance to, I might, might blog about this or something, but for the listeners out there, uh, Sergio Leone isn't the only spaghetti western director and there are some others that are like two that jump out to me that are personal favorites of mine there's one called My Name is Nobody and there's another one um, the 1966 movie Django not the Quentin Tarantino Django the 1966 movie Django and both of those are not uh, Sergio Leone movies and they are different They're you can tell they're different uh, when you watch them they're also great great examples of uh, you know, Busha crossover material or, or similarities to Busha. So, uh, yeah, I get your point and I totally agree with it. And if you're going to be going outside, whether you're staying in the Busha genre or going outside the Busha genre to get your inspiration, I think your point is is well taken. Um, and yeah, so uh, I, I don't know, is there anything else that we wanted to cover uh, about this? Well, movie? I just, I, I, I was. I just think that sometimes it's good to uh, go outside, as I kind of was just mentioning, it's good to go outside of what you're used to. And in the uh, preparation for uh, doing Righteous Blood, uh, writing the game, uh, and during the course of writing it, and then after it was re- finished and you know we were waiting for it to be published and we're doing the podcast and stuff, just I watched a ton and ton and ton and ton of Wusha movies. I had before, obviously, both of us had. Uh, but for me, uh, going through them all in preparation for the podcast and stuff, it did kind of get, you know, started pushing me toward the point of burnout. Um, and so it's good to branch out. And I think yeah. that 
if you're if you're branching out, but you still want to get inspiration for your wuxia stuff, this is a great direction to go into. Yeah, yeah. I should we should mention burnout. That's actually an important thing because you can't you you can overdo a genre. Do you know what I mean? If you're if you're if that's all you're consuming, and and also that's a really good way to start coming up with really bad content after a while because you're not branching out. Um, so, the you know I mean obviously you know I like to watch Wuxia. I still I still do, and I watch it right. Re- I watch it fairly regularly, but like I definitely watch other kinds of movies. Do you know what I mean? It'd be like being a musician and not watching, not listening to other kinds of music, just listening to the music in your style and not yeah. ever trying things outside that box. Um, you need to do that. And sometimes you need to stop listening to stuff inside your box and listen to other things too. And I think it's the same way with, uh, with Wuxia. I, though I will say this, I think that's probably not much of a problem. I think most people have the opposite problem that I talk to every once in a while. I meet somebody who's an intense Wuxia fan and like, they don't need any help from from me. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if they're an intense Wuxia fan, if anything, I'm an impediment. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, it's like, you know, it's like, thank you for making the game. Here are the areas where your game got it wrong. And now <laughs> I'm going to go and I'm going to run this the way that it needs to be run to be, you know, they know what they want to do. Um, but people that are, the people that I encounter the most are people who are interested in Wuxia, but they've only seen a handful. They may be seen one or two and, and maybe some others and they're excited, but they're intimidated by the genre. So it's normally the opposite problem. Um, yeah. And that's kind of why we, uh, in our recommendations in the book, we do have a very extensive list, not only in the, uh, the actual section for uh, recommended films, but just scattered throughout. We have other sections where we like, for instance, the, section on potential campaigns and adventure material and also in the time period uh explanations we include movies specifically taking place in certain time periods uh like i mentioned before on my website i have a full list of everything that we recommend and there's something like if you include everything it's like 70 movies or something um but we included a little crash course uh which is our three top films because i know that you know, not everybody out there is going to be like us who's watched dozens or hundreds of Wuxia movies. And it can I, it can definitely be intimidating. Uh, this It reminds me of, and I noticed this after we did our recommended movie list. Uh, I noticed that in Call of Cthulhu 7th edition, in their recommended movie list, they don't do that. Or not movie list. They list, like, requ- they, they call it required reading. And it's mm-hmm. like, you need to read all of this before you are ready to play the game. And it's like, basically, it might as well be the complete works of, of Lovecraft. And I'm like, okay. hey, that's a little kind of like, you have to read this before you play. I was kind of felt a little intimidated by that. And so I'm glad we didn't go down that that route. And I think that those couple, three those three movies we selected, which was Ride with the Right Hair, uh, Magic Blade, and um, the uh, uh, Assassin one. Sorry, skip my Reign of Assassins. Reign of Assassins. Yeah, yeah those three. Um, you can definitely just go with those. Uh, that said, so the Spaghetti Western route is probably a good one if you're a GM and you're you're wanting to run this, but your players aren't big Wuxia fans uh, and they don't want to watch three Wuxia movies. You know, maybe pick one Wuxia movie and you know you could recommend a Spaghetti Western movie or you know you know ask them, do you like Spaghetti Westerns? Do you like the good, the bad, and the ugly? And then say it's kind of like that, except yeah. in China with swords instead of guns, kind of thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's so many, and again, there's so many wuxia movies that have similar premises where there's like a 
a remote place where the bad guys are doing their thing and the hero needs to help. You know, like the Shadow Whip is another one. You know, there's like a, you know, it takes place in a remote mountain region and it's got a very kind of westerny vibe to it. Do you know what I mean? Like even though it's a snowy mountain. Um, yeah, I, th I think I think this this would definitely be good. The, again, the only the only downside of this movie is it is like two hours and fifty minutes long or whatever it was. So there's yeah, it's a long, long. movie, uh, but it's got a great soundtrack. It's really beautifully shot. You know, it's it's a really well crafted film. Um, Charles Bronson is great in it. You know, it's 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 a uh, you know he, he makes a really great sort of silent hero, and and uh, I don't know the Jill character I thought was really spunky. I like I like Jill a yeah. lot in this movie. She's, she was cool. Um, and she kind of she's she's beautiful, but she also is sort of like I don't know. She's balancing a fine razor's edge where you don't really know where the character. You know, is this a, what is this character exactly? And it sort of slowly comes to light exactly what her her background is and what her personality is. And it's kind of similar with Cheyenne. Like Cheyenne could have kind of gone in either direction. Do you know what I mean? Um, and there's that d spoilers. You know, at the end we find out Cheyenne's been shot in the stomach, and you know he's been hiding it for a considerable amount of time, if I remember. And he he ends up dying. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a really it's a really good movie, and also it's um, again, if you wanted to bring the railroad into it, you'd obviously have to do a later period, but it still could be done. Um, yeah, you know, a funny story is I so I mentioned spaghetti westerns, I believe, in that video I talked about before about Star Wars, uh, and the I mentioned it because I was just kind of spitballing, and I was trying to come up with an analogy, and the uh, as to um, uh, relating. Uh, Wuxia to Star Wars and I, I was kind of trying to point out that if I remember if I'm remembering this correctly how um, there are certain elements that have to be that quote unquote have to be in something for it to be Wuxia and then I tried to I, I was trying to make an analogy and I was like imagine if somebody said to you uh, that they had a really cool spaghetti western that they wanted to watch with you and you're like okay cool you're and you're looking forward to like you know the the um the 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 long drawn out stairs and mm -hmm. the six guns and like all that all that stuff you know like, this is gonna be awesome and then you watch the movie and you find out it takes place in London <laughs> and it's like people have yeah. like it's in the 1800s but they don't have six guns they have like canes and yeah. it's like, you would be like this is not a spaghetti western I... and so my point was like mm. if you're watching a movie and there's some elements that are similar to Wuxia but it doesn't have some of these other key elements. Uh, then it's probably not Wusha. Okay, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I got called out by people in the comments, by a few people, pointing out uh, that Spaghetti Westerns are not directed by Americans and they're not written by Americans. And in fact, a lot of the actors are not American and maybe not even speaking English. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason they brought that out was because I was, I was saying, I was trying to point out that, oh, you know, it's supposed to take place in the Wild West, but it takes place in London. It can't be a, it can't be Spaghetti Western. And then people called me out on that. And I was like, yeah, that's yeah, a, but, a valid but, point. I probably put a, should have put but, my thoughts. But Spaghetti Westerns analogy. take place in the West still. Do they do. Like, yes. It's, well, that, so, that so, was my point as well. So the, I think what that gets more into is that's somebody outside of the culture that the genre came from America doing the genre in their own way, which is different than what you were talking about, which was, no, I'm going to set it in a different location with different stuff. Yes. And, yes. But I still I th think my analogy was okay, but I probably could have presented it better, mm -hmm. but that's kind of the point I was, I was kind of going in a big circle to get to was that 
spaghetti westerns came about because people from a different culture and language did a, a genre. They created a genre, I guess you could say, based on something from a different cultural language, and it turned into something great and probably something that the people in the original culture language, like that being Americans, probably would never have come up. They would never have come up with that. Yeah. We would never have come up with that, I guess, since we're both American. So, yeah, and so I think, too, the um, the other thing about that analogy, I think the reason that people were talking about Star Wars in that way, because I remember that coming up, because when, when the... Um, the new translation of Legend of Condor Heroes first came out. I remember they were, I think they were trying to market it and people were trying to talk about it. They were trying to explain to Americans like, and to English people like what this was because not everybody knows Wuxia and their only reference point is maybe Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And so people started saying, I think in the marketing they were saying, this is like the Lord of the Rings in China. But that analogy didn't quite hold up because Lord of the Rings isn't like as universally popular as Wuxia yeah. is that you know what I mean like it's not like like Jin Yong my understanding is that's like an every bookstore like he's got like a Jin Yong section and all this stuff and like they're, they're constantly making TV shows based on the material and so uh, at some point somebody said well it's actually more like Star Wars because that was more of a cultural phenomenon it had more of the martial arts kind of stuff in it um, but yeah I, I think it's one of those things where it's just a struggle to kind of explain what Wuxia is to a, uh, an American audience that hasn't seen it. And so yeah. that's how that kind of happened. Um, yeah. That, that, I think that's part of it. I mean, I could go on and on about this topic. Um, I think because it's so in preparation for that video, uh, the reason I made that video about why Star Wars isn't Usha is because I'm on Twitter a lot or I'm not kind of on a hiatus from Twitter, but for many years I was constantly on Twitter checking Usha stuff just to see what people mm -hmm. are talking about. And I saw a lot of people making different variations on this comment saying, oh, well, Star Wars is Wuxia or Star Wars is Wuxia for, for Westerners or something like that. And I think that one of the reasons that has popped up is because um, to one extent or another, those movies did take inspiration from that, especially the, the uh, prequel trilogy, the fight sequences and whatnot are definitely very, you know, reminiscent of Wuxia movies. And in, in the video I have on YouTube, Actually, Mark Hamill it. even said that, by the way. He, he even, really? Yeah, and when, I, when I went to see, what was the last prequel movie? Um, was it Revenge of the Sith? Was that the last the, one? Uh, the last prequel movie. Uh, yeah, Revenge of the Sith. There was a pamphlet they gave you, and they had an interview with Mark Hamill, and they were talking about the change to the choreography, and he was saying that was to bring in... I mean, he said to bring in more of that Asian flavor, but it was... Yeah. To me, I read that as bringing in like the Chinese element yeah. rather than the... The, you yeah, know, like the Japanese element that was in the first trilogy. Yeah, um, I mean, I heard I mentioned this in the video. I can't, I can't confirm the validity of this, but I heard a speaker at Comic Con, kind of a really well-known um, commentator on kung fu and wuxia stuff. I forget his name. I think it's Rick Myers actually. Um, he claimed that Lucas literally showed his people a wuxia movie and said i want the fight to look like this and i i pulled up that fight scene and i put it next to the duel of the fates fight scene in that youtube video I i've mentioned a few times and it's you can see it's either a really big coincidence that they look so similar or there's truth to the anecdote i don't know which it is uh, but i think that that is what another reason why people started uh, saying that and i generally saw it mostly uh, not in a positive way, um, you know, people saying, oh, they ripped off Wusha or something like that. Um, and so, anyway, that's why I did the movie about, or the, the video to try to okay. at least make 
clear that in my opinion it's it's not wuxia for westerners it's like inspired by or influenced by or the one thing i will say is i think people that like star wars if they explore wuxia they'll see things that will be strikingly familiar to them like um like in Return of Condor Heroes, in the middle of the story, Yangor loses his arm, right? And so it's yeah. kind of like Luke losing his hand in the, you know, obviously his dad doesn't cut off his hand, but like it's like Luke losing his hand yeah. midway through the Star Wars trilogy. Um, and there's similarities, too, in terms of like Luke's father is the bad guy from the first, even though there wasn't the prequels at the time, is 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 the bad guy from the first story, and Yangor's father is the bad guy from the first. So there's just things that I think will be appealing to um to star wars yeah. fans either way but um but yeah so uh um yeah I, I, we kind of a little bit off track i suppose from the uh the sure going western. back to the spaghetti western thing there was something else I, I wanted to point out which is that um i think it's it's not directly relatable but the fact that these you know the italians came in and took american history and stuff and kind of made up their own led to something pretty cool and if you go back and watch these spaghetti westerns, you're going to find, if you're paying attention and care about these things, that they're probably not 100% historically accurate in everything that they do. And that's probably a good thing, I think. And it's something that probably carries over to games like Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades, yeah. because as we mentioned in the book, it's the game is not intended to be a historically accurate game. And the degree to which the game master and the players try to maintain a level of historical uh, or cultural accuracy is going to vary. And I, in my personal opinion, it's not a historical game. So I don't think that's, you know, that's necessary. I personally, in, in my personal games, um, when running it, I did try to make it as accurate as possible with the exception of the fantastic martial arts. But I don't think that's necessarily, uh, I don't believe that to be, like canon or something like yeah. people can do what they want even the authors themselves do not you know maintain true historical accuracy who long doesn't seem to care about it at all a lot of times yeah yeah um, and even why Jin we Yong, did that. like yeah, yeah. and even Jin Yong and some of the historical stuff he he writes is not <laughs> accurate according to to history no but what i mean but what Jin Yong will do is he'll take like something like the mongolian invasion and make that a backdrop like he'll take a very specific historical era and I'll make that the backdrop. But then what he's not afraid to do, which is what I like about Jin Young, is he's not afraid to say, you know what, I'm just going to make Genghis Khan a character in this story, and I'm going to have him be who I want him to be. And, and like, that's a bold move. Um, and I think that I think that's something actually a lot, I think a lot of, like, American and English writers have a really hard time doing that well. Like, I've never read, I've read a lot of books that, were set in history and featured um, historical characters. There was a book, I think it was called The Alienist. I can't, it was based, it was like a book about Jack the Ripper, but in New York. And um, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt was a character, but it's before he's a president. It's like when he's like a police commissioner or something or some other thing. And he's so, he feels so out of place in the story because every time the writer personifies him, it's it's like, He's, he's up on a pedestal and he's just not able... You know what I mean? It's just he, he doesn't feel like a real person. And Jin Young's very good at making historical characters feel like real people. You know? So, yeah. Um, but I think that's an interesting point. Like, history is my background. That's what I studied. And I don't feel like being a slave to it all the time when I'm gaming. Do you know what I mean? Because 
uh, I, I do like incorporating history, but one of the things that people have to understand, because I feel like we're in an era now where historical accuracy is, is almost fetishized sometimes when people are doing settings and stuff to the point that creativity can get lost. And it's fine if you want to do historical accuracy. It can be fun. I've done a lot of historically accurate campaigns. But the downside of it is it's really slow because you got to look up everything. And I mean everything. Like like I, I was doing this not too long ago where I was uh, setting up like a provincial map in Song, China for an adventure. And I had, I had this book on like all the counties and stuff. And it was taking me forever because every little inch where I wanted to make adventure content, I had to say like, okay, where, where would the town be? Who would be in charge of it? What would, and I was looking for real historical places and it was really slow to work on. It took me like, like three weeks for a one shot adventure that normally would take me two nights to prepare for. That's how, that's how long it was. Um, so what, what you sacrifice when you go for that much historical accuracy is a lot of time. Um, and you also lose the flexibility. Another approach is to just take what you know, whatever it is you know right now, and fill in the rest. That's where you have room to be creative. You know, that's another approach that can sometimes work. Um, I feel like that's more in keeping with the gulong approach. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's you. It's a you will start going down a rabbit hole that will never end if you try to do, especially with China, because China has such a long history, and um, I've been. Uh, because I drive my son to school and it's kind of a distance, I've been uh, getting back into listening to podcasts and I've been listening to the China History Podcast, which incidentally, I haven't mentioned that before. That's a really good one for people out there who like podcasts. You can learn uh, a lot. Uh, what's, what, what's, the name of, what's the name it's of it? just China History Podcast and the host is Lazo Montgomery and he takes topics, you know, I'm listening to the one right now on ta uh, Tang Dynasty Poetry he does Chinese philosophy. He does, you know, um, different time periods. He does emperors. And it's really great um, if you want to get into that historical aspect. But one of the things that just it, it reminds me of um, is that China, Chinese history is so complicated <laughs> and just long. And, you know, there are things happening everywhere across the country, people rising to power, people falling out of power, dynasties rising and falling and stuff. So if you're trying to trying to do that historical side, you are going to well, on the one hand, you might be able to get a lot of resources because, you know, there are a lot of history books on China. But as you mentioned, it's going to be a ton of work trying to make everything well, accurate. There there are a handful of of times and places that I've got really deep into. The two big ones were China and Rome. Rome was like my first thing that I ever really fell in love with and just was like, I want to know how the cities were governed and I want to know how power worked and how you went up the curse, the, the courses honor room and all these different things that existed in the society. And I was really intrigued by it. And I think, I think Rome's a big one for people, especially if you're raised in the West. Cause if you grew up, if you grew up going to church and stuff, Ro Rome is like the backdrop of the religious story. Right. So it's just kind of there. Um, but then China was the other one. And what I could say, I mean, you, you're going to find, I think similar levels of depth with any deep dive into any large country or region with a long history. But the big challenge that you'll run into with China is a lot of stuff that is readily available in Chinese is not readily available in English. And so, whereas with, 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 with Rome, at least a lot of that stuff has been translated. A lot more of the stuff has been translated, I think. So there's, 
there's definitely, you know, that difference. Um, but language is always a big barrier. Um, but other, the other thing too is, uh, you're not always going to find a book on what it is you want. Exactly. A lot of history books do not answer questions that DMS have, you know, they answer questions that historians have. And so, and a lot of the books are going to be things like survey books that just give you, here's the history of the song dynasty. They're not, you know, and, 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 and you might get lucky and find, ah, here's the history of law enforcement in the song dynasty. And you're going to read that whole book and you might be able to extract five or six solid things from it that you can actually use in your game. Um, so, you know, that's, it's a, uh, it's, it's fun. I like, I like doing the deep dive. You can learn a lot. If people go back and look at the bedrock blog and look at my, my posts around the time that I was doing Sartorius, they can see a lot of stuff that's drawing on the Roman history, a lot of stuff with scriptoriums and stuff. And I don't know, it, it's, uh, it can definitely add to the game, but, uh, but, but, you know, uh, my experience is a lot of gamers are not as interested in history books as, you know, uh, people that, I don't know, that are like history buffs and stuff. It's, it's a, you know, so, you know, definitely, uh, if, if you have a passion for it, that can add to the game. But my, my worry, whenever I go on about history is I really worry that I'm going to drive people away that don't have that same passion for history. You know what I mean? That's, that's always my concern. Um, and I feel like that just, you, you take somebody that might've developed a passion for a historical period and just kind of squashed it before they even had a chance to get a taste. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so I'd rather say, could, oh, go ahead, go ahead, because I've been talking a lot. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, you could basically probably apply that same principle also to the genre itself, because, you know, uh, there are people out there, sort of like the one you mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, who knows a lot about the genre. And you can do the same thing with the genre tropes as you can do with historical accuracy. Well, an Wusha, the character, would actually not do that or whatever. Yeah. I am I, I, one that I have to hold back from doing that if I'm playing with people who are not as familiar with it. Because the last thing you want to do as a GM uh, is bring in new players to a new genre and then like punish them for not understanding that genre. That's going to yeah. basically do the opposite of what you're originally setting out to do yeah yeah and also i think people don't like being like i'm I'm a game master i'm not your teacher do you know what i mean like that's not my role <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean and so like i i feel like it, it creates like an awkward power imbalance if you're there you know like obviously the gm should know the setting the gm should be the gm is kind of like the fible not fible final arbiter of what exists in the wuxia setting that you're playing in so they will be transmitting certain information to you. But if you take sort of like a teacher stance with the players, I don't know, I just, I, I feel like it, it makes it a more uncomfortable experience. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make it this fun thing that's going to enthuse them to, to go and learn about it on their own if they're interested, you know. So that's, uh, again, I, I think, I think a lighter hand with that stuff is sometimes better. Um and, and I think that does get us back to the Spaghetti Western thing, because I think the thing that you see in a lot of Spaghetti Westerns, and maybe less so with this one, because this is more of a crossover, but the, the, the fact that, you know, they're, they're setting something in a culture that isn't their own, and they're obviously getting things wrong here or there. Do you know what I mean? It's things that, like, it doesn't quite, it doesn't, you know, like, especially when I watch uh, some of his earlier ones, 
I'll see things where I'm like, I'm not even quite sure I know where this is supposed to be set kind of a thing. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that kind of sort of like just looks like not a place that would exist in the West maybe. But like that's fine because they're doing something different. Do you know what I mean? So it's – and it's a starting point. So um, uh, so yeah. So I don't know. Any, any other final thoughts? We've kind of been going on for over an hour on this one. Yeah. Um, I think we pretty much hit everything. Okay. All right. So – so we'll head out. I don't know if we're going to come back and do more spaghetti westerns or do more related genres, but I think it might be a good idea to mix things up this way because it kind of gets us out of like the the one thing I don't want to do is get in the rut of wusha movie after wusha movie after wusha movie and then we start coming in like zombies, uh, you know, talking <laughs> about the same because we've seen the tropes a million times. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So, um, but. Uh, but yeah, so so and and that also enables us to be more selective when we do talk about a wuxia movie. It's sort of like, okay, this is one I really have deep thoughts on. Like, I don't think we've ever talked about Holy Flame of the Martial World, which is one that I, uh, you know, I would certainly love to explore at some point. Um, so yeah, so so we'll let you go, and uh, until next time, we will with talk to you later. Laughter comes the rain. With my anger comes a tide. Of emotion, killing joy, cutting steel across your eyes. Are you dead or insane as you stumble through the night? Taste of the